Action Network podcast. It's time! Welcome back into the Action Network podcast, your UFC Fight Night 206 betting preview. Brendan Glasheen, your host, joined by Action Network senior writer Sean Zarillo. Also, former professional MMA fighter, MMA analyst, Billy Ward, UFC Fight Night. Looking forward to this one. We've got the main event, Vieira versus Home. 11 fights total, five on the main card, six prelim fights. We'll get to the fight of the night that Billy and Sean are both eyeing. Their picks, of course, underdog plays, favorite props, a look at the daily fantasy angle from Billy. And, of course, before we wrap up the show, best bets. Main event, Vieira Home. Cirillo, what's your your read here as we look at the uh, the main event? Skill for skill. I think Holly Holm has Vieira covered pretty much everywhere here, except maybe one aspect. So I'll give you the concerns that I have on either side of this fight. On the Holly Holm side, she's 10 years older, 40 years old coming into this fight. Still looks in excellent shape. We haven't seen her in a bit, though. I believe she last fought in October 2020. When there's at least an eight-year age gap between UFC fighters, this goes back 13 years the younger fighter wins 67% of the time at average odds closer to 57%. So generally speaking, the younger fighter tends to be underrated and it's by about 10% in the markets, which is a pretty significant gap. Additionally, I'm not sure how many times she can do it, but if Vieira is able to get home down and get on top of her, I don't know if home is going to be able to get back up. Her top pressure is pretty phenomenal. She's actually lost the fight before Vieira where she had, I believe, 12 minutes of top control because she barely threw any strikes, but she's very good at keeping position once she gets it, and her top pressure is very strong. Very strong girl. She has trouble making the 135-pound limit sometimes, and we'll see how she weighs in on the scales today, and that would be my primary concern on her side is if she's going to be able to go the full 25 minutes. She did in her last fight, but we've seen her gas out in the past. That's why she ended up holding on to Yana Kunitskaya for that long period of their fight ended up losing from top position because she was completely gassed out. She was able to get the takedown, but then she couldn't do anything with it. So I'm not sure if she's going to be able to survive the full 25 minutes, especially at the pace that home keeps, especially if she's shooting multiple takedowns and is unable to get home to the ground. Historically, she gets 1.72 takedowns per 15 minutes, 46% accuracy. Home is a 76% takedown defense. Now home has leveled up her grappling over time. She's even beaten other grapplers at their own game. Held seven minutes of cage control against Raquel Pennington. That's normally what Pennington does to other fighters. Home, a former professional boxer, has rounded out her skills over time. Probably one of the rare MMA fighters who is continually making improvements in her late 30s into her early 40s. So the cardio, major concern on the Vieira side. The potential top control is the concern on the home side if Vieira is able to get top position. I don't know if she can get it three times. If she can get her down three times, I think she definitely is a path to winning this fight winning a boring grinding style of fight. But that said, skill for skill, I think home has are covered in most spots. I think the money line is about right. Tough time playing props on this fight. The one area I did look, home's late props, round four, 2,500, round five, plus 3,000, both of those available at MGM, might end up sprinkling those in the event that Vera, Vera gets a pace put on her, gases out down the stretch, and maybe home is able to put her away. Hasn't put somebody away in the late rounds since back in Victa, I believe, so it's been a while, but... Holm definitely has a path to a finish later in this fight as Vieira tires out. 
Yeah, I'm definitely looking at the age as the big factor in this one. And Sean's pointed out she has continued to improve well into her late 30s. Even though she was older, she was relatively new to the sport in that time period. It's not like she was, you know, had been doing it for 15 years and peaked out. But it's just really hard to see. You know, a 30-year-old fighter could still be getting a lot better. You'd have to imagine Holly at 40 years old, almost a year and a half or a little over a year and a half off since her last fight. That's enough when you're getting over plus 200 on Vieira for me. It's not my favorite fight to bet. I don't, like, super love this one. But you can get her as high as plus 210 at Caesars right now. And given the 10-year age gap, given the trajectories of their career right now, that's more than enough for me to lay a little bit on Vieira. Let's move on to our favorite underdog play. Sean Zarillo, what do you got? Yeah, don't love a lot of money lines on this card. But if there is one dog that I'm interested in dabbling with, it might be Eric Anders, your boy. All of his fights tend to be close, whether he's a favorite, whether he's an underdog, they all tend to be competitive. And I have a tough time seeing Park pulling away to a significant degree unless he's able to grapple Anders here. That's very difficult to do. Anders is a very stocky guy, difficult to take career takedown defense, 75%. So he is difficult to put on his back. And even once you put him on his back, he's actually pretty strong and is able to get back up pretty frequently. He's the longer fighter. He's the taller fighter, two inches of both height and reach. He has the power advantage. I expect Park to land more shots, chip away at him, land more volume, maybe even get some cage control or to take him down. That said, Anders might be landing the more significant strikes. And we've seen a lot of these close split decisions come down to the judges deciding volume against power. Anders has more power. I understand why he's an underdog because Park is probably going to put a pace on him. We also have Southpaw versus Orthodox here, though. So I don't know if Park is going to be able to kick his leg that frequently creates the dynamics of the matchup that are definitely going to make it a bit closer than it would appear in the metrics. So Anders, the power advantage, understand why he's the underdog, but I think he can swing a close split decision on power optics or maybe even knock out the iron turtle, which has seemed impossible to do before, but he did get knocked out in his last fight, getting a bit reckless against Gregory Rodriguez. When you look on the card, Billy, uh, looking for an underdog play, uh, the middleweight bout is somewhere you're heading. Uh, no, I'm I'm going lighter on this one. I'm looking at Chase Cooper. He's as high as about plus 155. You can get it there at a few different sites. Um, and this is another age play to a degree. You know, Chase is only 22. He's been in the UFC since he was 19. It's pretty reasonable to think that not only is he getting better, but he's getting physically more mature. We've kind of seen him get pushed around a little bit. But when you're 19 fighting, you know, grown man Alex Caceres or whoever he's fighting, that's understandable. And I think he's going to be continuing to get better. He's fighting Felipe Calaris, who's actually coming up a weight class for this one. Calaris has bounced around between 35 and 45. But with Calaris being at the higher end of his range, I don't think he's the bigger, stronger guy than Hooper. And Hooper obviously just has so much grappling upside. You know, he's been the ace grappler since he was 11 years old or whatever it is. And Calaris likes to grapple, too. He could very well shoot in on Hooper and make this the kind of fight that Hooper does well in. So I think it's a really good matchup for him. And I'm also just betting a little bit on the kid who's still not even 23 years old, continuing to get better, continuing to physically mature, and continuing to look like he belongs here. Any thoughts on that one, Zarillo? So Chase Hooper is a bit of a string bean, very, very long and lanky. Um, tough to determine how much he's going to be able to improve his striking. He's been working with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which has been interesting. I'd love to see him come out in a karate stance and throw some different techniques. That'd be fun. But yeah, I have a tough time betting this fight. Both guys a bit untrustworthy. Hooper very much struggles to get guys to the ground. That said, Kolaris is willing to initiate grappling exchanges more often than not. So it's very possible that Kolaris just fights a very poor game plan and goes right into what Hooper wants to do. Uh, don't really see either guy getting finished. I think maybe it goes to the decision bet is where I'd be looking. 
Let's move on to the fight of the night that Billy and Sean are both eyeing. We have Michelle Demolador Pereira taking on Santiago, the Argentine dagger, Ponzinibo. Ponzinibo. I was practicing that before we uh, got started today. Um, Billy, we'll go to you first. You like Pereira coming out of here on uh, on top. I do, and, and the line's starting to get away from us a little bit because I think okay. he was. I think it was pretty much a pick him early in the week, but we're now seeing about minus one twenty five is the best line on Pahea. But he's on a four fight winning streak. He's fought increasingly difficult competition in each of those fights, and Ponzinibbio seems to be, if anything, trending the other direction. He's lost two out of his last three following a long win streak. But the thing that really impresses me with Pahea is he does all these wild strikes. He's jumping off the cage. He's doing backflips. He's doing flying knees. But he's won pretty much every third round he's seen, if you check the judges' scorecard. He doesn't seem to tire out. He seems to be able to sustain that over 15 minutes. You know, if he gets to the point where he's main eventing and fighting 25 minutes, that might be a question. But for a 15-minute fight, he's also got all of the grappling upside. He'll probably put Ponzinibbio on his back at least a couple times. And he's used that to steal rounds in the past. So if this one goes to a decision and the striking is close and one guy's got the control time and the takedowns, you would hope, though we haven't seen it consistently from the judges, that the guy getting the takedown control time would be the winner. So I like him at minus 125. I wouldn't go much past minus 135 or so. So if you guys are listening to this now, hurry up and get those bets in before it gets even farther away. How about you, Sean Zarillo? How do you look at this fight? Pereira v. Ponzinibbio. Yeah, so Pons is coming back here in his late 30s. He had a long layoff between November 2018 and January of 2021 because he had a staph infection, then he had some COVID issues. So he returned a bit of a lesser fighter than what he was previously, knocked out almost immediately by the leech. Competitive fight with Miguel Baeza. He was losing that fight, though, getting his leg absolutely chewed up until he decided to start walking through those leg kicks and then just throwing ones and twos at Baeza down the stretch. Split decision with Jeff Neal, very competitive there as well. He just seems to have lost a little bit relative to what he was previously. He's still a ranked welterweight. I still think he's a good fighter, but it's tough to imagine him having significant upside here against a fighter like Beher, who seems particularly durable. And I don't necessarily give... Ponzinibbio, any grappling upside either. If anything, I would give all the grappling side probably to Michelle. So Michelle has a bigger upside to look like a bigger favorite, in my opinion. Definitely has the finishing upside too. I see this being a pretty close decision if it does go the full 15 minutes. Ponzinibbio, probably more volume. Pajaya, more power. He's the bigger man as well. Prefer Michelle's chin if they get into a brawl. That's why I said I give him more finishing upside. I think he's just the faster man at this point. But Ponzinibbio is the more technical striker. May land more volume. Michel used to be a bit of a berserker. Now he's much more reserved. Tends to pick his spots a little bit more. He's going to try to counter while Ponzinibbio is coming in and being a bit more aggressive. So definitely see this as a very exciting fight for a lower-end welterweight ranking spot. I projected it to go the distance closer to minus 200. You can get minus 155 out there at Caesars. That's where I'd probably end up putting my money is on the fight to go to a decision but maybe a very high volume, high pace decision where either a guy gets hurt at various points. I do think both get to the final bell. Looking forward to the, the striking element in this fight too. Um, some similarities. Yep. No question. Um, should be good. So let's move on to our favorite props. And of course, as we, uh, we try to, at least I try to remember to say on every episode, you know, shop those lines, everybody. And like Billy said, get on right when the podcast comes out, Hop on this stuff because by the time Saturday comes, everything changes or it could change. Uh, favorite prop, Billy. Uh, what do you like? 
Yeah, I hate to do this to Sean because this is like his favorite, most exciting fight ever. But I'm actually looking at the Parker Porter versus Jalton Almeida fight. So for everyone who's not aware, not been following, Almeida was originally set to fight Max Grishin at 205 on this card. Something happened with Grishin. He dropped out. Almeida is this extremely shredded Jack 205-er stepping up to fight the biggest, sloppiest heavyweight in the UFC in Parker Porter. So, you know, Almeida is a huge favorite. He's expected to just run right through him. But if he comes in looking kind of heavy or looking kind of sloppy himself, I could see this turning into a sloppy heavyweight fight like we talk about. You know, we saw with uh, William Knight when he came in at heavyweight and was about 30 pounds over his usual fighting weight. It's hard to keep the cardio up when all of a sudden you weigh 30 pounds more than you're used to weighing, right? So that makes it a lot harder if he doesn't get him out of there right away. And you can get this one to go to the distance at plus 300 on FanDuel. I think that's a really, really good bet. I could see Porter also just kind of hanging on as long as he can and just trying to push him up against the cage and make this a slow fight. But this is one I really do want to see the weigh-in results because if Almeida comes in at 220 and still looks shredded, he'll probably have the juice to just run through Porter. But if he comes in looking a little sloppy, looking like he might tire out, you know, north of 225, 230, he's still going to be giving up 40 pounds, but he's also going to be a lot heavier and slower than he's used to being. So, yeah, watch the weigh-ins on this one. I just checked the results. They haven't came in when we're recording this, but that's where I'm looking. Sean Zarillo, favorite prop? I got to comment on this fight first. It is like okay. the Giga Chad meme fighting the sad Mr. Incredible meme. I mean, these, <laughs> these two guys are just diametrically opposite physiques. It's absolutely beautiful. I do agree with Billy. I think if this gets out of the first round, it actually can go the full 15 minutes. I think either Almeida runs through him rather quickly or we get an extended sloppy fight, but it is just a hilarious physique matchup. I'm definitely going to look forward to watching this one. My two favorite props, they're, neither of them are particularly long shots, but I do view them as basically the same bet. Joseph Ugly Man Holmes, Ugly Joe Holmes, amazing nickname, plus 100 to win inside the distance at BetMGM, and then also Cheaty Bang Bang and Jaquani, great nickname as well, also plus 100 to win inside the distance at MGM. I projected both of these props around 56%, around 70% win probability for either fighter, around 80% inside the distance for either man, so that's how you get to your 56% number getting both of them at plus money. Holmes is fighting a guy who's coming back, Alan Amandowski, who's coming back from a three-year layoff, has not shown more than about five minutes of cardio in the past and kind of a weak chin as well. And then on the other side with Chidi, his opponent, Dusko Chodorovic, karate-style fighter, leaves his hands low, chin way up in the air, definitely open to be hit all day. Chidi, a very, very dangerous striker. I think Dusko needs to grapple or just push him up the cage in order to avoid getting knocked out, let alone winning this fight. So... Like both of those fighters to win inside the distance, betting both at plus money. Good chance one of them hits. I think a decent chance both of them hit. And now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you could win on Sleeper by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick their over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then, choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from 2 to over 25 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about Over Under on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my buddies' contests and play together. It's not a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with a tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. So stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new Over Under game. Have fun with your friends and make some money. 
On your mobile phone, join our listener group on Sleeper at sleeper.com slash action and sleeper will automatically match your first deposit up to $100. Again, go to sleeper.com slash action and you'll get a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Okay, back to the show. As we like to do on uh, this podcast, we do take a deep dive into daily fantasy and Billy's a Billy's very much into the DFS angles when we look at these uh, fights and look at the card uh, each and every week. And Billy, this week, you know, looking at some of your notes going into into today's uh, podcast, you make a good point. I mean, the lines are very uh, they're very close, right? So that allows for some opportunity to find some value. Now there might be an exception here. Almeida being a heavy favorite, he might be. Uh, there, there's a possibility that's a, that's a popular play, right? It, uh, on the in the contest. So, is Almeida necessary to play at 9,400, or do you not necessarily have to play Almeida? Yeah, that's definitely an interesting fight for this one. He's really the only like very heavy favorite on the card and you know he's the most expensive fighter but there's just so much salary savings we can find on this one that it's not really hard to get up to him but i'm not going to be 100 percent almeida but i think i will be 100 percent that fight parker porter is just so cheap that if he gets any kind of win he's probably going to end up in the optimal lineup he also throws a ton of strikes like he throws strikes like a 115 pound female fighter but he's you know 200 probably 90 pounds when he gets in the cage heavyweight <laughs> So I'm estimating, you know, we don't know exactly what these guys weigh, but yeah, that's really the only high end fighter I'm really looking at, you know, home at 9,100 for cash. Sure. I don't really think she has the early finishing upside to pay that off though for GPPs. And then, you know, Sean mentioned Jun Young Park. He likes Eric Anders as the underdog and I'm with him on that one. I don't really see Park putting up a huge score. There's some scenarios where Anders keeps scrambling back to his feet and Park keeps taking him down where he racks up seven or eight takedowns and ends up in the optimal. But I think Anders is just enough better athlete that I don't see that happening too many times. So like I keep saying, when we have these shorter cards, there's a ton of salary out there. We don't really need to spend all of it. And that's just one way to get, get unique in your lineups. I also think stacking some fights could be a way to get unique in your lineup. I really like the Pahea Ponzinibbio fight. Those guys both just throw so much. We could see three or four knockdowns and both guys survive. So it's not all that unlikely that one of those guys or both of those guys could find their way in the optimal, even in a three round fight. And uh, going back to last October, there's been two events where two fighters from the same fight ended up in the optimal and it's played at a way lower rate than that. So even though it's not the likeliest thing, it's definitely plus EV, especially on the smaller slates to stack one of those fights. Anything uh, to weigh in with Sean in terms of what Billy's uh, breakdown is? No, I just want to touch on one more angle for the the Parker Porter, Gerald Nomadal fight. I mentioned if it gets past round one, I could see it going the distance. And Billy talked about the volume from the Parker Porter side. If you want to jump in on Porter, you're definitely going to get a better live price after round one than you will pre-fight. I don't see almost any way that he wins round one unless he's able to get a knockdown or Almeida slips out of banana peel or something and Porter ends up top and can't get a 260-pound man off of him. But Almeida is very, very dangerous for a round. Don't really know what his cardio looks like after he gets extended, but could certainly see Porter pulling away on volume at some point and maybe a live entry if you want to play the Porter side is the best way to do it. Billy, how did you feel about, because I think last week we only had 11 fights also, right? So when you have these, when you have just a couple, uh, a couple less fights on, on the, on the car, when it comes to DFS, do you find that easier or is it more of a challenge? I don't like it because instead of just trying to figure out what fighters and what fights I like, my primary goal is just not getting duplicated. Like if you just make sure yeah. that no one else has your lineup, your EV over a long run is just so much higher than even like 
getting the fights right. So it's really job number one, which is just obnoxious because I rather, you know, I want to go play the guys I want to play and not say, well, if other people play this guy, I can't. So I don't love it, but I do think, you know, the people that are paying attention have probably a bigger edge on these cards, at least for tournaments. We can say, okay, if I stack a fighter, if I leave 800 in salary on the table, then I just give myself a way better shot than following the chalkier builds. Before this UFC Fight Night 206 betting preview ends, we have to get to best bets. So uh, we'll start with Sean and then go to Billy. Yeah, I'm going to take Omar Morales, minus 135 at Caesars. Definitely more of an established UFC guy. He's fought fighters like Giga Chikad's beaten Mowgli Benitez. Can definitely hang in a striking battle with pretty much anybody. And I do view him as the better, better striker than Uros Medic. Medic is very much a front runner, never been past the six minute mark in his career, low level of competition. First time he took a step up against Jalen Turner last time, got absolutely smoked, hurt on the feet, put on the ground, immediately submitted. Not only do I view Morales as the better striker, I think he has substantial grappling upside. Not only, I mean, he, he rarely uses it, which is the one concern. And I still favor him in a striking fight. I think that minus 135, I like him up to minus 150. I think that's more fair if it's just purely a striking match. If he's able to take Medic down here, he may look minus 400 from the jump. So Medic is younger, give him more power. But Morales is moving up from 145 to 155. Maybe that improves his speed a little bit. And he actually has the reach advantage, even though he's a couple inches shorter. So projected this closer to minus 170 from Morales, would bet it up to about minus 150. All right, Billy, what do you got for us? Take us home. Real quick, just as a counterpoint to Sean. Yeah, Medic's nickname is the Doctor, which is just tremendous given the last name. And Omar Morales is the extremely boring Venezuelan fighter, much like Caitlin Chikugi and Blonde Fighter. So my counterpoint on that is going to be entirely nickname based, but I'm just not betting <laughs> Venezuelan fighter against someone with a good one. But speaking of good nicknames, mm-hmm. I'm looking at Tabitha Baby Shark Ricci. She's, I think the best line right now is minus 130. That's another one that slid throughout the week. But she's fighting Pollyanna Vienna, and it just feels like a terrible matchup for Vienna because Vienna's wins have all came by submission. And Tabitha Ricci is a super high-level jiu-jitsu player who, you know, isn't really a complete MMA fighter, I don't think, at this point in her career. But I would take her in a straight-up grappling match over anyone. So Vienna's going to initiate the grappling contest in this one and just go into, you know, the deep waters with Baby Shark here. I really like her, her upside in that. And, you know, Richie's still only 27. She hasn't been doing MMA for a long time, so I see some upside there. And I also like this bet to end by – or this fight to end by submission at plus 200. I think one of them almost certainly gets it, and it's a lot easier to submit someone else who's also working offensively. Neither of these two are going to be just playing defense on the ground, turtling up, trying to avoid getting tapped. They're both going to be rolling for stuff fairly aggressively, which makes it likely that one of them gets it. I, I thought you were going to do the little jingle, the little, the little song. Um <laughs> No, No, we've done way too much of that in my house. I have a four-year-old, so, you know, she was born right in the baby shark phase or baby shark boom. (laughs) Nice. Very good. Okay, well, we'll let you off the hook. (laughs) Gentlemen, great work as always. Uh, Sean Zarello, Billy Ward, two of our very best at the Action Network covering UFC. Looking forward to watching UFC Fight Night 206. Be sure to get those bets in before Saturday uh, once this pod comes out here on Friday, May 20th. That's going to do it for us. I'm Brendan Glasheen. Thanks so much, everybody. We come to you every Friday uh, when we get the card and we uh, examine UFC. Looking forward to having you all again on the Action Network podcast. We'll see you.